I presume he plans to cure blood poisoning in the same manner, namely by boiling our blood. Heaven forbid. It's not unlikely, I assure you. But I won't have it, Chardonnay. I won't tolerate such practices. We're not living in the Middle Ages. This is France, Paris, the 19th century. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we watched the story of Louis Pasteur, the second movie in the 1936 nominees, starring Paul Mooney, who was in I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang. So welcome back to the podcast, Paul. And Anita Louise, she doesn't star star. She like, she's a, a supporting actor who was Titania in Midsummer Night's Dream. Yep. I- <laughs> all of that is true. So David, what did you think of this movie? I think all that is true is basically my reaction to the entire film is what I was going to say. <laughs> it's like, it's a biopic. It's very clear from scene one who is very wrong because it's just a bunch of doctors going, I think children should just roll around in filth and you should stuff dirt in the mouths of mothers who are having children. And like anyone who says otherwise is a dumb idiot jerk. And you're like, boy, sure hope we resolve this before the end of the film. And spoilers, we don't really. I have to say this kind of movie, not a biopic necessarily, but specifically any story that is the history has proven that the guy everyone thinks is a jackass was right and all of the other people were the real jackasses is near and dear to my heart. Like, this is one of my favorite story structures. So the plot of this, yes, the plot of this movie Paul Mooney plays Louis Pasteur, who basically discovered or created the germ theory of infection. It starts with somebody killing a doctor because the murderer's wife died of childbed fever, and he decides that the doctor is responsible for this because Louis Pasteur is sending out pamphlets saying that If doctors aren't washing their hands and sterilizing their instruments, then they're killing their patients. He gets dragged into trial and says that that's why he killed the doctor. Then we don't know what happens to him at all. And I was a little curious. Like, did he get convicted? It's one of those things that's so weird that I'm instantly like, well, that must have actually happened. (laughs) Because, like, otherwise, the idea that everybody's really pissed because this one guy went and murdered a doctor for not listening to Louis Pasteur (laughs) is just so wild as a way to like set up the basic conflict that we're actually going to care about for the rest of the movie, which is all the other doctors being pissed at Louis Pasteur. And apparently the outcome of the trial is that everybody in the court is like, well, we got to track down this Pasteur and tell him that he can't put these pamphlets out anymore and that he has to issue a retraction. Then we're introduced to Dr. Charbonnet, who is basically the synecdoche for all of the doctors in France who think that Pasteur is a quack. And he is attending Napoleon III's family as a doctor. Pasteur is like, 
yeah, well, the Empress's sister is about to have a baby and she's going to die of childbed fever because the midwife who just delivered one baby from a mother who died of childbed fever is going to go and deliver hers and hasn't washed her hands which like is a it's weird because this is such a reduction of what actually is going on with infection but it's also literally like how 19th century medicine was making everybody die i just read a book about lister who he has a cameo in this joseph lister who was the pioneer of antiseptics in surgery and the things that people did in the 19th century in surgical units were so gross but also so like nonsensical to me like they would take rags that they had stuffed into a like open surgical wound of one patient and then stuff them into another patient to staunch bleeding which like ooh but also eventually doesn't it stop like absorbing blood it just seems totally against common sense to use the same thing also just my running question for this is just like how hard is it to just wash your hands like i like <laughs> yeah I, I i mean even if it did nothing if it was like oh there's a chance that it does help like it's a 30 second affair like he's not asking people to go through the whole 21st century sterilization process he's just like wash your hands you did remind me very briefly of my favorite line in the entire film which is when they first cut to the i forget what france calls the like medical academy i think they're just the academy of medicine or whatever yeah but when you first cut to them somebody literally says this is france Paris, the 19th century. <laughs> I have that in my notes, too. Like, in case you didn't know exactly when and where this is taking place. <laughs> I wish people just kept saying that throughout the movie, just periodically. <laughs> I'm going to just start saying that in conversation. <laughs> this is New York, the United States, the 21st century. Just, just in case anyone had forgotten. Like, that's where and when we are. Just keeping everybody on the same page. So then, of course, like, the sister of the Empress dies, and the Emperor gets mad at Pasteur and is like, you have to leave Paris. So he goes to some small town outside of Paris. The Franco-Prussian War happens about ten years later, and apparently all of France's sheep are dropping dead from anthrax, except in Arbois, which is the little town where Pasteur moved. And he has vaccinated all of the sheep against anthrax. The medical academy, of course, is like, well, that just means that there's no anthrax in our bois. So they decide that they're going to come and take all of their sheep and put them in our bois. And Pasteur is like, okay, you can do that, but I'm going to vaccinate 25 of them and I'm going to not vaccinate 25 others. Or no, does he, he injects them with anthrax, right? Pasteur isn't the one that does this. It's Charbonnet proposes it to like dunk on Pasteur. Mm. It's this experiment where Pasteur is going to vaccinate 25 of them. And then they're just going to inject all 50 of these sheep with blood of a sheep that died of anthrax. Right, 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 right. Yes, exactly. 
at some point in this, Donald Woods shows up as this assistant doctor who's like, I'm really interested in what you're doing, Pasteur, even though he used to work for Charbonnet. So Donald Woods, he was in A Tale of Two Cities, and he was the totally, like, generically handsome, otherwise unremarkable Darnay. <laughs> and he's actually pretty good in this movie when he's given an opportunity to play something. I, he, yeah, I mean, I, I thought I still kind of thought he was just <laughs> blandly handsome. Well, he does have his whole speech about how, like, I'm not just a, a, what is it? I'm not just an aristocratic nobody anymore. I actually work now. <laughs> Yeah. Because there's no empire anymore. They're now like the however many of French Republic. He's fine in this. And you're right. He's given more to do. But like, I mostly just thought this whole subplot was kind of weird until we get to the thing in Act 3. That's why this subplot is here. Because, of course, he falls in love with Pasteur's daughter, who is played by Anita Louise, who is... Better in this than she was in Midsummer, mostly because she's given less to do. <laughs> That's cold but accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so somehow Louis Pasteur, who is this like kind of small, dark haired, almost like Mephistopheles character, has this incredibly gorgeous, fair, blonde fairy of a daughter. So the assistant and Annette, Pasteur's daughter, get married. There's like a big event where everybody comes to see the sheep that didn't die. Yeah. It's like a festival. <laughs> yeah. It, I think it also simultaneously is a festival. Or maybe I just made that up because it was so confusing why there was literally a Ferris wheel there otherwise. <laughs> yeah, it's like they have the county fair specifically to showcase that 25 of the sheep didn't die. And it's such a big deal that Joseph Lister comes from England to see the living sheep. Yeah. And then a rabid dog, like, runs through the fair and bites somebody in town. So that ends the fair, because everyone is freaked out, because it's like, oh my god, rabid dog! Then there's a, a really weird scene where you see this provincial witch try to cure him. Which is so, it was really bizarre. <laughs> it's like, we, we get it that, you know, there's no cure for rabies yet. Do we really need to see this, like... Well, it's also, it's there for, and I appreciate that the Wikipedia summary does have it. That, like, it's there so that Pasteur can look on and go, like, it's a shame doctors could do no better. And then, like, wander off on his, like, cool fucking CSI Miami line. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. He doesn't have sunglasses, but it feels that way. <laughs> <laughs> so they go back to Paris and he decides that like now what he's going to do is he's going to cure rabies, which trying to cure rabies in the same way that he cured anthrax or like creating the anthrax vaccine is not working. And then one of the most metal things I've ever seen in a 1930s movie happens where Charbonnet walks into the lab and is like, yeah, whatever, dude. There's no such thing as microbes. Germs are fake. In fact, I'm gonna inject myself with rabies right here. <laughs> and then he does. And he does it, like, so quick. Oh, yeah. Pasteur's like, no, don't. And he's like, too late. I already injected myself with rabies. 
And then, of course, like, Charbonnet doesn't get rabies because we need conflict in the film. And also, this probably happened in real life. Though Charbonnet is kind of like a combination of a lot of the doctors that Pasteur was dealing with. There was no actual Charbonnet. Then he goes around town and, like, goes to lunch with all these people. And he's like, ha 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 ha, I feel fit as a fiddle. I don't have rabies at all. Pasteur is a jackass. And then everybody laughs. And then... Pester, of course, is like, oh, why isn't he getting the rabies? This doesn't make any sense. And Marie, who is his wife, who is awesome, is like, go to sleep. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, but she also like, and I really appreciated this, gets to actually fully have the insight. Like most of the time when like the wife or the like girlfriend or just like the person who is standing there almost figures out the case or whatever that gets the main character on the right track, it's usually like, oh man, I hate thumbtacks. Thumbs, that's it. You're almost not an idiot, Marie. (laughs) But this time she just straight up goes like, you told me once that germs have a life cycle and die. Maybe these were just dead already. Right, like maybe they're just weak. (laughs) And he goes like, oh shit, that probably is it. Right. Which it is. But she's also like, you have to go to sleep because you haven't slept in like 48 hours. And then a letter arrives from Lister. And I only mention this because it's not plot important, but there is a callback at the end, which I really appreciated. So he gets a letter from Lister and Maria's like, no, you can't read it until you eat breakfast. And he's like, grumpy scientist. And she's like, okay, fine, eat your food and I'll read it to you. And then she reads it and she's like, let's see, dear... Dr. Pasteur, you are a scum. And then Pasteur is like, what? What? Lister didn't give me that letter. And then, of course, he's like, no, you're a genius and wonderful and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, then he starts injecting dogs with, like, the weak virus and then progressively stronger ones and essentially sort of figures out that that's how you can vaccinate dogs against rabies. But before the experiment is concluded... Well, two things happen. One one is a little kid shows up who's dying of rabies, and the mom is like, please, please cure my son of rabies. And he's like, I have cured dogs and not human beings. And another doctor is like, that is not the way medical science works. You can't just like put an untested cure on a little kid. If you kill him, you'll go to jail. And then he bravely tries to save the kid anyway. The other is the daughter goes into labor. And the doctor who was supposed to come and deliver the baby, not being an idiot that rubs his hands around in dirt before he delivers the child, (laughs) can't do it. And the only doctor who can is Charbonnet. And he gets Charbonnet to agree to act like he thinks germs exist for one surgery. But in exchange, Pasteur has to retract all of his work on rabies. If Charbonnet doesn't die of the rabies injection he gave himself earlier in like a month or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so they agree. And then dramatically, right as the baby is delivered, Pasteur collapses from a stroke. Oh, also in a totally weird and unnecessary side plot, or I thought was unnecessary, this guy from Russia comes to France and 
goes to the government and is like, we need Dr. Pastora's rabies cure because rabid wolves are attacking the peasants of Russia. And we will take the treatment. We don't care if it works. Just anything. Please help us. Our family is dying. And the French government is like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was fine with that subplot as a plot. But the weird part where all of the Russian peasants are standing outside of his house moaning Pastor's name, while his wife's like, don't look at him, don't look at him, I could have done without. Yeah, it's really, like, they send a government official from the Russian Empire and also pay for two dozen peasants (laughs) to go... I mean, maybe I got something wrong in all of my history leading up to the Russian Revolution, but I feel like the Tsar does not care about individual peasants' lives at all. Yeah. But whatever. Anyway, Pasteur has a stroke, but the French government is like, okay, you can actually treat the Russian peasants who haven't died yet, which he does. The Russian peasants live, also the little kid lives. And then Charbonnet is like, okay, I was wrong. I'm going to tear up your retraction. Also, BTW, could I have the rabies vaccine (laughs) since I injected myself with rabies? (laughs) (laughs) Then we cut to Marie and Pasteur at the breakfast table or something like that again. And she mentions something about how he needs to go to the medical academy for this event tonight. And he's like, oh, I couldn't possibly. I have all this work to do. And she's like, oh, foreign scientists to declare that all of Pasteur's research is crap and he's totally wrong and will disprove his germ theory in front of the whole medical academy. And then he's like, Lister wouldn't possibly. That's he he loves me. So, of course, the only way she got him to go was by saying that somebody was going to say he was wrong. He shows up. It turns out that actually Lister is there to give a great speech about how wonderful he is. He's also going to get the Russian medal from the random Russian guy. And then all the other doctors are like, hooray, actually we were wrong and you're the best. The end. Yeah. And honestly, that whole like coda, I could have done without. Like, it's a very nice speech he gives, but like... To me, the big moment is Charbonnet going like, whoops, guess I don't want to die of rabies and not him giving a big speech. But like, it's a fine speech and it is nice to see the like wife put one over on him one last time. I just love that that's her ongoing joke. Marie is such an underused character, but when she does come into play, she is very smart She not only, like, listens to her husband talking about science stuff in a way that she clearly comprehends, even enough that she's able to assist him in actually figuring stuff out, or at least, like, she listens enough that she figures out the reason why, and then he figures out what to do from there, which I think is great, like you pointed out. Mm -hmm. But she also listens to her husband enough that she knows that the way to get him to do stuff is to make him mad. It's also great because it's the same trick every time and it works every time. Yeah, yeah. And it it shows something really nice also, or I mean, I don't know that it's nice, but it shows clever character development on the part of the writers because it shows that Pasteur doesn't actually care about being praised, but he will defend like a 
rabid dog, excuse the expression, his work. It's like if you told him, yeah, they're going to give a big speech about how great you are and you're going to get the Russian Medal of Honor, he would be like, no, I can't. I'm busy. But he will drop everything to go and defend his germ theory. And that, I think, is like very true to form. So uh, again, like I said, this is the type of story that for me, it scratches an itch that I have all the time, so I really like it. It's not the greatest example I've ever seen of this story. (laughs) It really beats you over the head with it. Yeah. Which is my main criticism of it and my main criticism of this type of movie in general. You know, I don't hate it, but it's not my favorite. I think there's like good performances in here. I think this story is relatively efficiently told i could have done for like one less iteration of the exact same plot beat like we maybe didn't need all the stuff in paris at the start of the movie or something yeah but like i generally think like even if i didn't love it this movie was successful at what it was trying to do in a way a lot of movies we watch are not the plot beats could be repetitive but they were told in a way that made sense pacing wise which i thought was an improvement over the last biopic that we watched was the disraeli one i think like i think it's been that long Uh, yeah because aerosmith was fake right But, you know, comparing it to Aerosmith even, which was a fake biopic, but was the same structural idea. Or I guess, like, Private Life of Henry VIII was also a biopic, but it was also, like, a funny biopic. Yeah. Like, it wasn't a straightforward telling of someone's life. Yeah, I bring up Aerosmith because it's the only other movie we've seen of this structure of, like, brave, heroic protagonist proves all his doubters wrong. Yeah, and the plot of this one was paced much better than Aerosmith. Much better, I thought. Yeah. I will say about the performances, it kind of feels like day one of shooting, the director comes out and talks to the whole cast and is like, all right, so who can do a French accent? The woman who plays Empress Eugenie raises her hand and looks around and no one else raises their hand. And the director's like, uh, okay, sure, you do a French accent. Everybody else whatever transatlantic upper class british or uh mooney can you do some kind of nebulously european thing that makes you kind of sound like a vampire perfect yeah i just gave up on trying to figure out what was going on with any of the voices so fast you have to or you'll go absolutely out of your mind that like by the time the empress shows up which is literally five minutes into the movie max it's jarring that she has a french accent (laughs) yes i was like are we doing that did did she just not get the memo that we're not doing that what is happening That is absolutely not something that I could blame on individual actors because the director just, like, let everybody do whatever. Charbonnet, for the most part, has this very, like, Wild West frontier American accent. (laughs) Donald Woods is doing his best, like, 1930s Hollywood transatlantic. Yeah. It's a mess. Somebody else is doing, like, an upper crust British accent, but it's not the guy playing Joseph Lister. (laughs) 
And then the guy from Russia's Russian accent is so Boris and Natasha. They play fast and loose with every single part of Europe, but the moment a Russian shows up, you really gotta know they're Russian. Well, I mean, you really have to, because otherwise, like, what the hell is everybody else's accent? Because Pasteur is, like, some kind of vaguely Eastern European slash German accent. And it's definitely not Paul Mooney's regular accent, because we've seen him in a movie and he just had like a, a normal like... I think this is actually why Blandly Handsome Boy just came off as Blandly Handsome to me, because it was just the same Blandly Handsome British voice he was doing. Yeah, he just sounds like every other 1930s actor. It's the like Catherine Hepburn, good transatlantic diction, which in a way sticks out more than any of the other people who are like trying some accent. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, there were some good performances in it, but that's down to directing, really. That's just, like, the director not having control of their actors. <laughs> or not caring, which is possibly worse. Yeah. But I did think that Paul Mooney gave a really good performance. I think that he managed to balance the grumpy, professorial, alone in the lab, like, doesn't want to be bothered with anything else character with some more human elements. Like, he clearly has a good relationship with his wife. He cares very deeply about his daughter. He doesn't really seem to give a shit about donald woods's character <laughs> yeah i mean there's a weird thing where i can never quite get a bead on how much of an asshole the movie thinks that pastor is because you get these occasional moments where he's like kind of a dick to his daughter or just kind of a dick to people in general i can never quite read whether that's supposed to play as like get out of the way of the great man or if it's like he was a complex figure at all <laughs> right right yeah i definitely did not feel like that was as cleanly delineated i agree and i kept thinking back to a beautiful mind which 10 years from now we will talk about on this podcast again that did a really good job of showing the like brilliant scientist who is not able to engage with his family in the way that non-brilliant scientists who don't have mental health issues do and showing like that dynamic now of course a beautiful mind is really all about that specific thing but i feel like there could have been a little more here's the professional man versus here's the personal man development in this particular movie. Yeah, I, th I think so too. And like, there was more of that in Aerosmith, honestly. <laughs> oh, for sure. I think that, like, that's what I mean when I say, like, I could have used one less iteration of this plot beat. And, like, I did feel a little bit like, we get it. Germs are real. I also went to a middle school <laughs> science class. Like, I. And by the 1930s, like, this was not. It wasn't a question anymore. Like, you didn't need to hit people all over the head with the fact that germs were real. Right. And so, like, I really could have used a little more time on the, like, history of it and less on the science. It was interesting how the, like, rabies vaccine was different from the anthrax vaccine. And, like, that was pretty cool. But, like, there were just a few too many scenes of people going, germs, bah! That could have been used to, like, actually do some setup to the daughter going, like, we've always had such a strange and distant relationship with father. And it's like, have you? 
Because I haven't seen that. Like, I kind of forgot you existed, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, really, she is there for, like, five minutes to set up the fact that, oh, they've had to move from Paris. And then she's there long enough for Donald Woods to be like, wowza, she's hot. And then one scene later be like, hey, I want to marry your daughter. And then the next time that we see her, she's like losing her shit over the fact that she's going to have a baby to her mom and is like, oh, I'm so upset because my husband is busy with dad's whatever. And the mom is like, well, I had plenty of babies and I didn't cry about it. And then Annette is like, oh, yeah, well, how many of them lived? There's no moment where you see like Annette and Donald Woods' character having a fight about this or even discussing it or Annette talking to her dad about it, which like I guess in a way does by its absence show that kind of relationship. But the relationship that is the most developed in this whole movie is the antagonistic one between Charbonnet and Pasteur. And everybody who likes him is just sort of like, yeah, yeah, they like him, sure. Lister, yeah, he likes him. The wife, she likes him too. It's weird because even that relationship has this weird moment where like when Charbonnet like tears up the agreement, you're like, okay, but like why this time? Why like the 14th time you were wrong does it count? Like you're not dying of rabies. I like, I don't quite, it's, it's not like the moment doesn't play. It does in the moment, but you do kind of look back and go like, okay, but like, aren't you kind of tearing it up? Cause it's act three, because before you've kind of declared repeatedly that absolutely no rational evidence could get you to agree that germs exist. Right. I mean, I think that the reason that it matters this time is because Pasteur has saved actual people instead of just sheep. Oh, I guess that makes sense it's just the movie weirdly the movie seems to care so much more about the sheep (laughs) so much more you know what's also really weird so i went and read like the pastoral wikipedia page after this and i'm not criticizing the movie for being ahistorical at all because like honestly i don't care it gets the major point across and the major parts of the story that's fine but apparently the little boy that he like saved from rabies never showed any signs of rabies at all and that scientists now estimate that there was probably a 10 percent chance that he had been infected at all oh boy that like the dog wasn't even necessarily rabid yeah <laughs> which i think is really funny like that's the whole thing on which people were like oh yeah i mean he definitely cured this child of rabies and it was like that kid probably didn't have rabies and also that apparently he said that he had cured like 10 dogs of rabies before the french government was like okay we'll allow you to do this with the understanding that like it may not work out and he'd apparently cured like a dog like when his journals were published after his death. <laughs> this is one of those things that like the movie keeps weirdly head faking toward because constantly people show up and go like, you've publicly announced that you've cured rabies everywhere forever. And he goes, no, 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 you've misunderstood. And it's like, how do you get those mixed up? And <laughs> Oh, that like that he's over hyping stuff that is really important and good is actually kind of a thing that makes a lot of sense. Which apparently he did do, yeah. Yeah, but that the movie always plays as like, uh, journalists, and not as him kind of being irresponsible. Yeah, apparently he was a lot more fast and loose with things than this movie shows. There's like a little bit 
of a head fate toward this where he's like trying to get some blood or something from a rabid dog and people are like oh my god but you brought a rabid dog into the house and apparently like he was so blasé about dealing with rabid animals that he like put his hand in a rabid dog's mouth to collect its saliva and stuff like this <laughs> yeah I, I mean i honestly like now that I know that, I am a little bummed out because I do think this movie would have been improved by making it a little bit clearer that, like, honestly, some rando killing a doctor is just an excuse for the fact that Pastor is kind of a prick. Right. And that's why people don't like him, which is already implied, but the movie never really wants to make him anything but gruff but lovable. Right. And just flat out going, like, people don't believe you because you're an asshole. <laughs> would have been an improvement to, to my mind. Right. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. Let me not inaccurately disparage Pasteur. He said that he had successfully vaccinated 50 rabid dogs before he used it on the little boy, but it was actually 11. I mean, that's, yeah. Which is, you know, uh, he hyped it up five times more than he actually did instead of 10, but whatever. At least he's shown it's replicable with that one. <laughs> And again, I don't really want to come out of this as like, this movie should be anti-Pasteur, because like, obviously not. Right. But just, I think it would have been more interesting. And I think it's more true to life, I think, if it's just like, you can be right all you want, but if you're just kind of an asshole who hypes yourself up, people don't believe you even in the face of overwhelming evidence. Is, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I feel like they definitely do that in a way, but they make it so that Charbonnet and the other doctors are also total assholes. Right. When in actuality, they, even though they were absolutely wrong, they were coming from a place where they were like, we can't do this stuff to people without some kind of proof, which there's a really, really excellent book about Lister that's called The Butchering Art, which is about like the first third of the book is basically about how surgery evolved in England before he came in and was like, hey, uh, let's stop killing people. And the, the thing that they were most worried about with surgery was speed, because obviously, like, at the beginning of it, they didn't even have things to knock people out. And then eventually they, you know, moved on to ether. So people were asleep, but it didn't slow down the blood flow and everything the way that the drugs that they have now can, and they didn't have as many clamps and all this other stuff that makes surgery a lot safer. So the idea of like washing your instruments and washing your hands and doing all this stuff to make sure that the room was sterile in between surgeries felt like a threat to your patient because you needed to do everything fast. And... They were coming from a place where they were worried about their patients instead of just their own reputation, which is how it is framed in this movie. Yeah, I think it is, you're right, less about them never having Pastor be an asshole and more that he's always the asshole that's right. And just having there be a little bit of like, no, sometimes he's just an asshole. <laughs> and like, sometimes the people who are being an asshole to him kind of have a point. You know, even if ultimately he is the one that is right, which I th think is a pretty fair read of the history here, that complication, at least occasionally, would have made things more interesting to me. Because I would have felt less like, well, I know how this scene's going to fucking end every single time that somebody was a jerk to Pasteur. Right, right. It feels like he is 
the hero of this movie, even though he is crotchety, even though he doesn't seem to have a very good relationship with his family, even though he doesn't seem to have a very good relationship with the rest of France. The other thing, too, is that historically, Pasteur, sure, people thought that he was a quack, but he definitely, like, tooted his own horn and was very, very good at PR, which we don't see in this movie at all. To the point where he claimed discoveries that, you know, we now know were not actually his discoveries, that like he may have done the most extensive experiments, but the anthrax vaccine, for example, was not his creation, but he is was for the most part credited with inventing it because he was really good at selling Louis Pasteur. <laughs> And this guy definitely wasn't. Yeah. There's a brief moment at the very beginning of the film that gives you the feeling you're going to watch that movie where he kind of talks about the like number of women who are dying in childbirth in Paris where you're like, oh, this guy like knows how to play the game. And that's actually what's pissing off the doctors. But like, no, what's pissing off the doctors is that they don't believe in germs and germs are stupid and I can do what I want. Right. The pastor that like does objective good for like medical science and human mortality, who is also kind of a bit of a prick who's lying about stuff for the greater good in quotes is, I don't know, whatever. I'm, I, I, this is really wandering into like make this other movie that I would have liked better, which, I liked this movie just fine, but, you know, it, it, it is, I guess it's just kind of a shame because that would have been, that would have fixed my main issue with this film, which is how repetitive it is and how you kind of know how almost everything in it is going to resolve the moment there's any setup for it. Yeah, it does not feel like the biopic that illuminates parts of his history that we were not aware of, which I think a biopic at its best does that. It introduces a real-life human being who gets a page or two in your history book, and you know the good that they did or the bad that they did, whatever it is, the big important historical thing that they did. But the point of the biopic and spending two hours with this person is to understand them as a human and not just the name attached to an historical event. Yeah. That's where it falls short. That said... I liked this movie, if for no other reason than that we have now watched two movies in this year that didn't make me want to defenestrate my television. (laughs) Yeah, and next week's, like, really looking up, too. Like, I don't want to jinx it, but there's several reasons to think next week's going to be very good. But I I don't want to jump ahead to that, because, yeah, I I agree with you that, like, coming off, you know, I don't think I'm going to rate this, like as one of the best movies we've seen or anything. No. But God, coming off of... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Tale of Two Cities was good. It was totally a solid movie. This was totally a solid movie. As far as, like, rating it, I'm, I'm going to give it a six, which is my rating for, like, totally competent, solid movie that is better than average, but... There's nothing to recommend it if you've only got two hours of your life. This is not the movie to pick. Yeah, I I am going to actually just straight up agree with all of that. I was also thinking six, and I also think, like, this movie's fine. If somebody makes you watch it, you're not in for anything too terrible. But, like, you know, there's better ways to spend this time. Yeah, 
I, I'm not really sure who the audience for this movie is. So, like, as far as, like, should you watch this movie? Nah, nah, you don't need to. Yeah, it it feels like the audience is people who really wanted Paul Mooney to have a performance he could win an Oscar for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that seems about right. Because, like, if you're a hardcore, you know, microbiology nerd, like, this is going to offer you nothing. Yeah. Because the science is, like, very simple and very dubbed down for the layman. If you're, like, a hardcore French history nerd, there's not a whole lot here either. Like, the performances are totally fine, but there's nothing in here that's like, oh my god, this is a tour de force of acting, you know? Yeah, no. And you're right, it does kind of, like, Napoleon III shows up and then goes away, and it is left to the audience to discover why you would care about either of those. And, you know, it's, again, I I think we're, like, nitpicking, which is so refreshing after a straight year of, like, (laughs) oh my god, I can't believe this movie was made. I can't believe I had to watch it. Like, that, like... Why are we doing this project? What have we cursed ourselves with? Yeah. That just, like, this movie could have been better is, is a fact, but is, like, seems like such small potatoes after... 1935. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so to next week. Yeah, when we watch The Great Zigfield with everybody from The Thin Man. <laughs> a-, a lot of them, yeah. Except the dog. Yeah, well, that's actually too bad. Yeah. But yeah, it, d- it does have William Powell and Myrna Loy and a bunch of great people in it. It looks pretty great. And it's what actually won versus two movies that like not only were pretty good, but, like, were pretty good in ways the Oscars typically rewards more than, like, big musical extravagances. Yeah, they were biopic and a big sweeping adaptation of a historical fiction novel. So, I don't know, I have high hopes for this one. Maybe this is what's finally gonna bring 1936 crashing down for us. Oh, I hope I hope not. Yeah, same. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, until then. This was a movie. This was a really pretty good movie. It was a little bit better than fine. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye. I know what they'll say to that. Give us proof. Proof. As if the dead and dying weren't proof enough of their stupidity.